Welcome to the Centerpoint Vineyard Podcast. We're a church on Sydney's northern beaches, seeing lives transformed by Jesus. We hope you enjoy this message. Good morning. Uh, if you don't know me, my name is Jonathan. Oh, there we go. No, I don't. We've actually just come back from a week of holiday, so I'm less prepared than normal, so I do not have slides this morning. I apologize. You just have to take my word that the scriptures that I'm quoting are actually in the book. Uh, I want to speak a little bit this morning about what's been happening recently amongst us as we gather, because I don't know if you've sensed it, but it seems like, I don't really know when it started, but probably, I don't know, June, July-ish, it seems like God has been visiting us by His Spirit in a kind of unique way, bringing refreshing and renewal and empowerment and his kingdom, often in quite a physical way. Um, For those of us that were here a couple of weeks ago, we saw a demonstration of that with a number of people getting prayed for and the Holy Spirit physically touching them. Um, Almost weekly, there's been a, a kind of a sense of the Holy Spirit in our gatherings, particularly in our worship. And following on from that, more recently, we've started to see tangible signs of God's power at work in people's lives. Um, As a pastor, I get to hear those stories. They're not really mine to share, but I get to hear those stories. And so I wanted to share with you uh, a little bit of a theological grid so that we can continue to press in to more of what is happening. I want to give you a framework theologically for what we're starting to see happen for two reasons. Firstly, because we always want to be firmly rooted in scripture here. And secondly, Because what we're starting to see, I think, is just the starting point and there's more available. And my prayer, our prayer as a community uh, would be that God would take us deeper on this journey of seeing his kingdom break in through our lives. And for us in the vineyard, uh, the stuff that we might categorize as the ministry of the Holy Spirit, things like healing, deliverance, gifts, empowerment of the spirit, it's all rooted in a theology of the kingdom of God. So I want to unpack that a bit for us this morning. And it was, it was quite cool. I didn't talk to Danny and Amber about what songs they were going to lead, but um, it's t- dovetailing quite nicely into what I want to share. I've titled this morning's message, The Inbreaking Kingdom. And I want to launch this morning from Acts 1. So if you've got your iPhones or if you're old school and you've got a, a paper version, uh, turn with me to Acts chapter 1. This is Luke's second volume. And we're going to start in verse 1. Luke writes, in my former book, Theophilus, so Luke's first book is, of course, the Gospel of Luke, Uh, and Theophilus here, it was likely his friend that he was writing this to, but the name actually means friend of God, so he's, he's almost writing to us as friends of God. In my former book, Friends of God, I wrote all about what Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instruction through the Holy Spirit to the apostles that he has chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Now, there are a few very important points that I think Luke's making here in his introduction that we need to grasp as friends of God. And the first is in verse 1. It's all that Jesus began to do and to teach. See, there's an assumption here that what Jesus began to do and to teach didn't stop with his ascension to the Father. In fact, the ministry of Jesus continued through the church 
in the power of the Spirit. And this little opening statement of Luke, it's framing up what's about to take place in Acts 2, which is Pentecost, which is the Spirit poured out on the church. And it's laying the key foundation that the ministry of Jesus, that is the ministry of the kingdom, continued in the power of the Spirit through His people, through the church. Otherwise, Luke would have written all that Jesus did and taught. And that's a very important distinction. As Jesus began to do and to teach. The kingdom, the ministry of the kingdom, never stopped. It expanded through his body, the church. And we have a role to play in the continuation of Jesus' ministry of the kingdom. The ministry of the kingdom, we can say, is part of being the family business. When you come to God as part of God's family, you are ushered into this move of God that's called the kingdom of God. And we're supposed to work with God in seeing that come here and now. The second important assumption Luke highlights is that Jesus' ministry had two key components. So Jesus' ministry was characterized by demonstration, so began to do, and proclamation, and to teach. The church in the West generally has shied away from the demonstration aspect of Jesus' ministry. We've focused a lot on the proclamation part, and that is good and important. We should proclaim the kingdom. But I wonder if people might find our proclamation a little bit more relevant if they witness some of the demonstration. The inbreaking of the kingdom of God. And the third little assumption Luke makes here is that Theophilus understands what it was that Jesus began to do and to teach. And my experience in the church in the West is that we don't have a good grasp on this. Because you see, Luke notes in the last 40 days of Jesus' ministry before he ascended to the Father, he kept coming back to one main theme, the kingdom of God. That is a key theological statement that Luke is making here. I remember farewelling some friends uh, in London at a tube station, knowing that we wouldn't probably see them for a number of years. And I remember very well that conversation that we had. So if you're about to leave somebody, you're very careful with the words that you speak. You want to make sure that people grasp what you're about to say before you leave and not see them again for a while. And so I think it's really important that Jesus was speaking here to his disciples about the kingdom of God. It was his way of kind of hitting the nail on the head again and again, saying, guys, this is what we are on about. We are on about the kingdom of God. Jesus' entire message can be summarized by that statement, the kingdom of God. The Greek is basileia to theo. Can you turn to your friend next to you and say basileia? Now, despite what you might think, the phrase doesn't mean lines on a map in the way that we would ordinarily think of a kingdom. It's not a physical place. The phrase means the dynamic rule and reign of God. It's God in his sovereignty and his activity, bringing everything under his rule and his reign. It's when God is Godding, if you like. The New Testament scholar N.T. Wright calls it God putting the world to rights. Wherever God's presence is, his kingdom is right there too, bringing the world to rights. See, Luke is putting everything that Jesus did in his earthly ministry under that one banner. All the wonderful things Jesus did, the works of the kingdom, demonstrating he was ushering in the rule and reign of God. Which means that the miracles Jesus performed weren't just miracles. The healings weren't just healings. They were literal examples of the kingdom in-breaking into the present scenario. There were literal demonstrations that God rules and reigns. Luke, in his first volume, the Gospel of Luke, he summarizes Jesus' ministry as proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. That's Luke chapter 8, verse 1. Matthew 9.35 does exactly the same. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel, that means the good news, the good news of the kingdom. 
and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Proclamation and demonstration. I don't know if you've ever read the Gospels with that lens or that hermeneutic, but it actually changes everything. So when we see kingdom power demonstrated in a room, when we see people healed, set free, delivered, empowered for ministry, it's not God's way of trying to prove that he's powerful. It's God's way of saying, my son justly rules over all things. It's a demonstration of the kingdom. It's a breaking in of the future age into our present scenario. So when Jesus came announcing the kingdom, he came amidst great expectation amongst Israel. So the Old Testament, if you read your Old Testament, you can kind of divide it in half from the Exodus event through to the Davidic monarchy or the reign of David and Solomon as king. Their assumption in, at that point of time of Israel's history was that the Lord reigns. It's a current form. The Lord reigns forever. And, and we get that from uh, the Song of the Sea after they left uh, Egypt and they crossed the Red Sea that they... Um, Miriam sang this song and in it, the Lord reigns forever. Yahweh reigns forever. So it's this current present tense. The peace, the shalom, the favor of God rests with his people. But then after King Solomon, just about everything went wrong. And eventually Israel split in two. They're cut off to exile. And all of a sudden it doesn't really look like the Lord reigns at all. If you're an Israelite. But while in exile, the prophets start speaking a new word to the people of God. God's kingdom will come again. So it's changed from present to kind of this future event that's going to happen. God's reign will come again. Starts being talked about in the future tense. Yahweh will be king. God will be king. And Isaiah in particular paints a picture of that as the Messiah coming, the spirit anointed one who will reestablish the kingdom of God here on earth. This is Isaiah 9. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forevermore. You might know that passage coming into Christmas. It's quite a familiar passage. But do you hear the expectation in those words? The kingdom is coming. So with that context in mind... Think how rocked Jesus' hearers must have been when his first public act was to stand up in a synagogue and read from the prophet Isaiah. This is recorded in Luke chapter 4. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, says Jesus. He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recover sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This future event that's going to take place somewhere in the future, the the reign of God is now coming in Jesus. That would have rocked their socks. And here comes the punch. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue was fastened on him. The audacity to say that? He began by saying to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Mic drop moment. Not only was Jesus declaring himself the future king, but he was declaring that the end time that some people were thinking was way off in the future was breaking into the present scenario, (coughs) crashing in, the kingdom breaking into the now. So the kingdom of God is not some earthly kingdom 
or some political right ownership of land that some people might view in today's context. We've seen variations of that put on social media this week. The kingdom of God is the rule and reign of God, the shalom of God, the wholeness, the completeness, the peace of the kingdom crashing into our present scenario. Somehow, everything that God is yet to do at the end, establishing the everlasting kingdom has broken in from the end to the present in the person of Jesus. The future age that is still to come has broken in ahead of its time when God is putting everything to rights, which means that we find ourselves straddling attention. Now, if you're visiting us this morning and you're like, oh no, I've walked into a crazy church. (laughs) Bear with me because that kind of is the point. Grasping this concept of the kingdom is the only way that we can live and minister in obedience to Jesus and actually stay grounded. Let me explain with a bit of an illustration. For the history buffs in the room, You may have heard this, but during World War II, when America entered the war and the Allied forces descended and invaded Europe, it was called D-Day. The Allied countries kind of breathed a sigh of relief, like, oh, we're going to win the war. And all the talk in the media at that time was, we've won the war. D-Day's happened. The end was a foregone conclusion in that sense. Victory was assured, but that period dividing the, uh, from, from D-Day to V-Day, saw some of the most deadly battles occur. More lives were lost in that period than all the period before that. So we find ourselves in a similar tension. Jesus coming on earth was like an invasion of the kingdom. Before this world has terminated, the new world has already begun. Jesus has ushered it in through his life, death, and resurrection. And yet, we still find ourselves longing for the everlasting kingdom of V-Day at the end. So we're straddling this tension. The kingdom is here, it's now, and it's also not yet. It is coming, it's future tense. And until you understand that tension, you'll never know the glory and the frustration of the Christian life. So the kingdom is available, which means you can expect to see the kingdom break into a present scenario. We can pray for people and we can expect to see them healed, set free and delivered. We can expect to see people encounter the love of Jesus. And yet we still live in the current tension of the age where we don't always see as much as we would like to. So we join with Jesus' followers around the world in praying, your kingdom come. Most parts of the church want to land in an either-or camp. Either the kingdom's here and it's all available now, or it's not yet and we have to wait until the future until we can see it. And that is the key theological difference that defines the vineyard. What the vineyard brought into the worldwide church was not healing or supernatural ministry. That was around throughout church history. What the vineyard did was bring an understanding of the tension of the kingdom as a now and as a not yet. The vineyard gave a theological explanation for signs and wonders as the inbreaking of the kingdom of God. It placed signs and wonders, the demonstration of the kingdom, in that new theological context. So, is the kingdom now, or is the kingdom coming? Yes. 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 What do you mean? Is it here, or is it coming? Yes. Yes, the kingdom has broken in. It is here now. It is available. It has broken in. And it is still coming. The kingdom is a future event. It's both at the same time. And grasping that concept of the inbreaking of the kingdom is the only way that we can live and minister on this side of heaven and not lose our minds. Because otherwise we reduce the kingdom of God to some kind of political agenda or a tussle for earthly power. 
or we theologically praying for healing, deliverance, empowerment, all of it is the inbreaking of the kingdom. God breaks in and brings his kingdom, the rule and reign of God into a situation. It's the now. And yet we're still waiting for it. It's the not yet. It's God's way of saying, my son justly rules over all things. And the beautiful freedom in this is that when we have a theology of the inbreaking kingdom of God, it means that we can step out and risk. There's actually a reason for us to step out with Jesus and pray in expectation for people to encounter the kingdom. But it gives us a theology for when we don't see all that we hoped for. We can still pray the next time with full expectation that God's kingdom can break in. And we can handle the disappointments when we don't see it. We can keep on doing it because it's the inbreaking of the kingdom. It's not reliant on our faith. See, some of our more perhaps Pentecostal brothers and sisters land more in the kingdom is here now in its fullness box all the time. But if you land there, it means that when you don't see it, you somehow need to explain why you didn't see it. And the temptation then is to think about stuff like, well, it's because we lacked faith in that moment, or that person lacked faith, and the person praying had faith, but the person receiving the healing didn't have faith. We have to somehow explain it. And that kind of sounds logical, except for the fact that myself and many others have seen incredible miracles when we've had very little faith. (laughs) The story I shared a couple of weeks ago about praying for a lady with a long list of ailments, um, when she was sharing them, I could literally feel whatever faith I did have in that moment kind of draining out my my shoes. And to be honest, the only reason I was actually praying for her is because someone said, hey, can you go and help over there? They're praying and they're not seeing anything happen. And when someone said that to me, I thought, oh, great. (laughs) My honest response, honestly, it was like, it's late at night. I kind of want to go home to bed. And Honestly, the only reason I did it was because I have a people-pleasing capacity that needs to get dealt with this side of heaven at some point. And so I said, okay, sure, I'll go and pray. And this lady had no faith. I had no faith. And God somehow turned up and his kingdom broke in. And she receives some healing. Because it's the inbreaking of the kingdom, not just faith. And there's always mystery to how and when the kingdom breaks in. See, the mystery of the kingdom is grounded in a different kind of faith. It's the faith of obedience. We're just being obedient to Jesus. He's the one who taught us to pray, your kingdom come, and who sent us out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick, Luke 9 verse 2. And so we're going to do it for no other reason than sheer obedience to the book, because this is what Jesus told his disciples to do. It's not our job to try and solve the not yet dynamic of the kingdom or to try and figure out the mystery of why we sometimes see it and why we sometimes don't, that's not our job. Our job is obedience. And that's all we're trying to do here at Centerpoint. We're just trying to be obedient to Jesus and what he's leading us into. And so what we try and do is we just hold space open so that there's a chance for the inbreaking kingdom to crash into our present scenario, to change people's lives. There's a biblical mandate of that for us as disciples. The great news about the kingdom is we all get to be involved. We all get to do the stuff of the kingdom. It's the birthright as followers of Jesus. I heard one vineyard pastor once say, if you don't think you have the gift of healing, just try practicing the gift of obedience. (laughs) Just do it because we're told to as disciples of Jesus. We minister the kingdom. 
Start stepping out and just watch what happens. And in God's grace, in recent times, we've seen some wonderful inbreakings of the kingdom in our midst. We've seen people empowered. We've seen people experience healing and deliverance. So to summarize, the inbreaking kingdom was Jesus' main message that he proclaimed and demonstrated. It's therefore our theological framework that gives us a reason to minister in obedience and it also gives us permission to fail. The third thing that I want to land with is the inbreaking of the kingdom means that the odds have shifted. So when you enter a room, the odds have shifted in that room because you carry the presence of the king with you. That's why Pentecost was so important. The Holy Spirit, the power of the future age, the coming kingdom, both Paul and Jesus says lives in you. So when Jesus ushered in the kingdom, all of that is available to us by his spirit. That's why the Holy Spirit is referred to as a gift. The king gifts himself to us. Just let that truth sit with you for just a moment. The very presence of God, who has and is putting the worlds to rights, is right here with us in our midst. We live in the presence of the future, in the power of the future age. And that means when you walk into a room, the odds have shifted. When you walk into a cafe and someone's there on crutches, the odds have just shifted for that person. Their chances of encountering the healing power of Jesus, the power of the future age, has just risen because you brought the presence of the King with you by His Holy Spirit into that room. And what we're starting to see and step into as a church is not meant to stay here to a Sunday morning gathering. Right. We're supposed to take the inbreaking kingdom with us into our homes, our schools, our workplaces, cafes, when we're shopping at Aldi or Woolworths, wherever. So when a friend confides in you that they're struggling in their marriage, realize that the odds have just shifted for them. Jesus' power of reconciliation, of forgiveness, of grace is available because you carry it with you and you can minister the kingdom to that person. And when we gather in community and we invite the Holy Spirit to come and to bring his kingdom, the odds have shifted for all of us. We can expect the kingdom to break into our present scenario, the power of the future age, where God is bringing everything to rights into our present scenario, crashing in by the kingdom of God. And that's why we make space for it every week. And that's why we contend for it in prayer on things like Wednesday nights. And that's why we're hungry to see more of it through Centerpoint and through each of our lives. It's the inbreaking kingdom. And with that in mind, how about we stand? You've been listening to the Centerpoint Vineyard Podcast. To connect with us, find us on Facebook, Instagram, or by visiting our website, www.centerpointvineyard.org. The theme song for this podcast is Highest Praise by Kieran Delhart. So we see-